Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 11.35 p.m. Sunday night and today was a really cool service. Uh, I didn't know what to expect um, as most of you probably are aware. This week was really weird for Florida. We were staring down the barrel of a hurricane at the beginning of the week and then at the last minute it sort of turned and, and spared us and we had some wind here and some, you know, some people had some damage and we had lost power in a couple places. But for the most part, uh, it wasn't too bad for the Bay Area. But it was terrible for people down south. And I know a lot of people listening, maybe you're, you live there, maybe you have family there. And, uh, you know, they call it survivor's guilt. And it's, it's hard to know how to feel in, uh, in these sorts of situations. We just, we feel bad for everyone affected. And um, hopefully we can do something to help. Uh, speaking of, if you're friends with me on Facebook or my wife, Tiffany, uh, she does have family down there and we are going to bring some supplies down this week. So if you'd like to uh, donate to that, um, just look at my Facebook page or hers and you'll see her Venmo and you can just shoot over some cash and we're going to pick up some, you know, water and like the stuff people need, but also a couple of like fun, just like snack type things that they probably haven't had a chance to have in a while. Uh, so anyway, if you'd like to help out with that, that would be awesome. Um, had no clue what to expect for Sunday. Um, Hannah wasn't here. Uh, we're not shy about telling people when Hannah's taking time off because we always uh, find really cool people to fill in for her, uh, usually from our um, community. And that was no different. Caleb Quaid, who's been with us pretty much from the beginning, spoke today. And we have a great track record of having people show up for our guests, but you know, I just didn't know it was super weird and I was nervous, but the band was freaking awesome today. We had a new guitar player named Mike. Uh, they were great. We had a great crowd. Uh, so thanks to everybody who came in person or who watched online and thank you so much to you who is listening now on the podcast. You rock. Okay. Uh, we are starting small groups this week. So if you want to join one of our small groups, go to diff.church and you can sign up there. And uh, last but not least, I just want to tell you a little bit about Caleb. Uh, he, as I said, has been with us pretty much from the beginning. One of the coolest, most interesting guys I know. Um, he has a really uh, just different journey to sort of deconstruction and reconstruction. And that's a little bit about what he's going to be talking about. I actually titled this, uh, Caleb is here to break your brain because he's going to be talking about quantum physics and quantum mechanics and all sorts of words that I can't pronounce. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Caleb, take it away. So my background, I grew up um, in the church in the Assemblies of God. Um, actually, my parents um, still to this day are a wonderful example of authentic Christian Christian love and really have a positive experience overall growing up in church, which I know some people had, some people didn't have, um, you know, things that I liked more than others probably, but um, had a period of my life where I was really into it, really on fire for God and, you know, read the Bible through a couple times. And just as an aside, the Bible is a pretty weird book and like, you, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you read it, you learn that like whether it's Assemblies of God or dare I say different church, not all the things that we talk about are exactly what it says in there sometimes. It's kind of an interesting book to read through sometime if you, if you have a year to do it. Um, but one of the things when I was going off to college in, in, from this church, I was already a little bit deconstructing in my faith, but 
Um, the pastor brought me up in front of the church and, and prayed for me. And one of the things that he either prayed or said that like really stood out was, don't go off to college, learn too much and lose your faith. And like, even then, like it didn't sit well and it never sat well. That's not the type of faith that I want. I don't want a faith that has to, um, you know, that has to close off at, you know, 18 years old or at 40 years old or at 90 years old from learning and seeing what's out there and seeing what more you can learn and evolve, evolving your faith there. Um, so that never really sat well and wasn't the way I was going to have my faith in my life. Um, and then I went to University of North Carolina and I took a class like right when I got there, that was exactly probably what he was warning me against. I took a New Testament history class. Um, any of you biblical scholars out there know Bart Ehrman. He's um, like one of the preeminent New Testament scholars and an atheist, an interesting guy to take a class with. Um, but I, so I took that class and you know, kind of learned a lot of the history of the Bible, which was pretty, pretty different than you learned growing up in church. Um, but I also took astronomy. And I started to dig into some quantum physics and cellular biology and environmental biology, a lot of these different things um, in the sciences there, and learned a lot, you know, both um, about religion and studying religion, and then also just about science through studying that stuff and found it really fascinating. Um, now I work as an environmental consultant, and I'll get into that a little bit towards the end of the sermon on some of the things I do with that, but really want to, you know, when I was asked to speak, my... Um, the sermon that's been in my mind for a decade has been to like talk through, um, you know, finding faith in the universe through the through the way the universe works, primarily through science, because um, it's blown my mind over the years. So a little bit of a heady journey. So buckle up or you know play on your phone, whatever you need to do. Um, but I'm gonna uh, pull up if you want to pull up uh, Psalms 19. I'm gonna read a couple verses for the scripture for today. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. So, you know, if you're following conventional science, at some point there was basically nothing, and then there was a big bang, and the whole universe spews out from there. Um, and, you know, that's kind of a, I'm not going to get too much maybe a little bit in astronomy, not too much into quantum physics, but want to talk through really quickly um, how matter is formed. Um, so matter is, you know, if you, if you follow quantum science, it talks, there's these photons, light beams that are massless, that are not really particles, you know, they're particles and waves, if you can wrap your mind around that, um, that bang into each other and slow down and form electrons and form matter and, and become the entire universe and the chair that Jarrett's sitting on and all that around you um, is just light that's slowed down, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, I have a, a quote to pull up. So this is from, you want to read a, a book that will blow your mind, The Quantum Revelation by Paul Levy. Um, but it says, the massless, intangible, and immaterial photon, which has zero weight, somehow gives rise to the massive weight of the whole material universe. The question naturally arises, how does matter precipitate out of a field of pure light? So one of the, um, I, was re I read The Elegant Universe by Brian Greene, which is a, a pretty cool book, and it talks about quasars, which, um, you know, so you had the Big Bang, and stuff started expanding and going from there. And relatively quickly after the Big Bang, there were these giant mega galaxy-sized balls 
that um, were called quasars that just started spewing out light from them and created galaxies, like literally galaxy creating um, things like out of a Marvel comic. Um, and like when I first learned about this, I was like a little bit, I wasn't really even reconstructing my faith at this point. I was like just trying to figure things out. And I was like, wow, well, there's these mega galaxy sized balls of light that are creating the entire universe around us. Maybe a way to look at that is to call that God. And I remember that being like kind of something to open my mind to and expanding, like maybe I can start to take a faith and build it up, you know, under terms that, you know, maybe make it make a little bit more sense in the, you know, in my studies. And um, so Genesis 1-3, uh, one of my favorite Bible verses is, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. You know, I think that's a pretty scientific verse. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty amazing to me. So um, you can't have a good heady thing without an Albert Einstein quote. So Albert Einstein said, everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that a spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe. So moving a little bit more local um, to our solar system here, um, the, so the Earth, you know, we're the third planet from the sun, and we, um, you know, we, we live in what's called the Goldilocks zone, where for like the last four billion years, the temperature on Earth has been relatively within a narrow band, right? And it's this narrow band that can support life. It's not too hot, not too cold, like Goldilocks. Um, and that has allowed for, you know, all the life on the planet to evolve and everything that's taken place there for liquid water and all the things that are needed for, for life. Um, and you know, conventional wisdom is, well, aren't we lucky? And we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this Goldilocks zone. So man, we were really lucked out to be on this, this rock. And that makes sense. I actually, I don't necessarily disagree with that until you learn that over that 4 billion years, the sun has gotten a million degrees hotter. And so, and the earth's temperature has stayed the same. And, and the way that it does it, is, you know, over that time, we had life evolving on Earth, and, we, and life is carbon-based. Plants, animals, everything, is, you know, seashells, all these things that are organic are based in carbon. And um, you probably know some with global warming and stuff, we have a lot of carbon dioxide, and we're putting a lot of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Well, in the early parts of Earth, through life, we drew down carbon out of the atmosphere, um, kind of in proportion to the, the heating of the, of the sun to stay in that Goldilocks zone. So these animals you know, would evolve and live and then ultimately die and the seashell would sink to the bottom of the ocean or be roots under the ground or, or decay into the soil. And so over that time, a lot of the carbon that was in the atmosphere ended up underneath the soil. And so um, I find that just so fascinating that on a planetary level, there is, you know, beyond, you know, anything that's an individual intelligence, a collective, you know, creativity that um, uses life to create the conditions for more life um, that I think is pretty, pretty cool. Another, another example um, is, um, so the Earth for the last billion years or so has been about 21% oxygen. Um, and... Like, but it wasn't always like that. Like at the beginning, three billion, four billion years ago, it was a lot more methane, a lot less oxygen in the atmosphere, a lot more carbon in the, in the atmosphere. And 
Um, the way that we switched this to this at atmosphere it was through the earliest organisms that were on this planet. Um, they're called prokaryotic cells or prokaryotic organisms. They're like pre-bacteria, um, single-celled, you know, in, in terms of the grand scheme of things, like the least evolved, um, you could argue, of, of life on Earth. Um, and they breathed methane and pooped oxygen. That was, that was what they did. And... Um, and over time, that you know, changed the, the, they had enough of them and they did it for a long enough period of time that it changed the way the atmosphere on the Earth was, was constituted. And what's interesting about these cells is by the time you get to 21% oxygen, it's, not, it's noxious for them. They can't survive in that environment. So they literally like, created these conditions that they couldn't even really survive in. So now you can only find these prokaryotic cells in the bottom of muck ponds and the bottom of the ocean where the oxygen is, is very different. Um, but, you know, so now we have 21% oxygen, and what's, it's another Goldilocks zone that we live in. If there was less oxygen, there would be not enough, you know, not enough oxygen to create complex life, as least as we understand it on this planet. And if there was even a couple percent more oxygen, a single lightning strike would burn a whole continent. Um, and so we're in this, like, little perfect spot where 21% um, is, is where, where we land here. And so again, here's these prokaryotic cells where life is creating the conditions that create life. Um, and so something else that's really cool, that's, if that's not enough, you know, prokaryotic cells also, they gave us the whole, you know, all of evolved life from there. But they also invented genes. They created genes, evolved genes, um, which becomes the building blocks for all genetic material for all future life on, on the planet there. Um, I've got a, a quote from The Universe is a Green Dragon um, by Brian Swim, which is um, one of the most spiritual books I've ever read. It's been powerful in my life. Um, the simplest prokaryotic organisms struggled ceaselessly and with stunning success, altering the nature of Earth permanently. They roamed through life and hatched those seeds we call genes. Who could have created them if they had not? We have no talent for that kind of work. We carry their achievements in our bodies, all the 10,000s of genes in our bodies that enable such lambent beauty to delight the planet were handed to us by these primitive creatures. Your gratitude includes them. Your life emerges through their creativity. We pursue being and struggle to become one with this enchanting mystery so that we too can contribute to life just as they did. Um, I get choked up like thinking about these single-celled organisms. Um, so... I, I find this so uplifting to, to my faith personally. Like there's, there have been, you know, many times where what's the meaning of it all? How does, like looking at this at a global or universal level, like how does Caleb Quaid matter in a universe that is incomprehensibly large? How, how could earth matter? How could any of this fit into it? Um, and I, I think, and I don't know their level of cognition, but, you know, these prokaryotic cells maybe didn't know the role that they were playing in this revelation yet to come. Um, and so I, I find for me that there's hope and faith in the idea that, you know, the, the mystery that's out there is, is maybe something that we're contributing to. And, you know, I'm not um, saying it's a good thing what we're doing to our planet, but, you know, the prokaryotic cells eventually made it to where they couldn't really survive in the planet they created. Um, you know, we're doing that same thing right now. I don't, I think there's other ways to handle that in the future. I hope we don't do that. But who knows what the bigger picture um, that the universe or God has planned for us there. I find that really uplifting to think that um, when you can't find meaning, maybe there's something that's way bigger than you there. 
Um, so my work, um, I'm an environmental consultant. I focus on learning from nature and seeing the ways that um, nature interacts, like with the carbon in the atmosphere and in the soil and some of that, some of that stuff there. And I'll tell you, um, I'm looking for it, but I see creativity and intelligence. Um, all, it's, 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 it's hard to miss if, you, if you're looking, looking for it in the way that the, the earth works. Um, like, I, I was on a, a ranch. I'm working with a person who's trying to convert their ranch land into more um, environmentally friendly property. And they were growing uh, this purple passion flower in their garden. And I just had a chance to like to look at this. Have you ever seen a passion flower or any, any flower? And you just actually look at the design of it and look at what um, is created there. It's, it's, I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing and, and creative and beautiful. Um, and certainly speaks to some level of creativity at some level of, of all this stuff. Um, I talked earlier about carbon and CO2, and you know we're screwing that up really bad right now. We're taking the fossil fuels and trees that are in the ground that are sequestering carbon and burning them and putting it back up in the atmosphere. And so we're um, not, not doing, we're working against you know, the last four billion years of nature and getting our temperature a little hotter. Um, but something that you know, nature, um, the top 18 inches of the soil around the globe holds three times the amount of carbon currently than there is in the total atmosphere. And so if you were to look at ways to increase the carbon in the soil and you increased it by 6% globally, that would offset our total carbon emissions since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution in 1800. And um, we know how to do it. Um, there's, um, you know, I've been doing it in my yard for the last couple years by just letting native things grow and, and, and adding compost and things like that to the soil, which is adding the organic compost uh, matter there. They've done, it at, they've done it in Ethiopia and Rwanda, literally in the desert, and shown that they, you know, projects have been done there. And there's like the most notable one for the largest scale in China, this area called the Lowe's Plateau, L-O-E-S-S, -S, Plateau, um, was so degraded that there's literally, it feeds the Yellow River because of all the erosion that runs into the Yellow River in, in China. Well, over from 1995 to 2007, there was a massive land restoration project that um, restored an area the size of Belgium um, and, and changed the soil composition. So we can do this at a local level with you know, one bush in your yard, all the way up to you know, a countrywide level and, and, and maybe beyond if we get some resources behind it. And that's what I, I try to, I'm working with businesses, trying to get them to understand this and do some of that through, through my work. Um, but I think the, the fundamental challenge that we have to overcome isn't carbon. You know, carbon is what it is. It's, um, it's thinking that we are separate from the atmosphere and separate from the soil, um, separate from animals. You know, like we, we, we tell ourselves this story of separation um, and I think there's another story that we can tell ourselves that is realizing that we're all interconnected. Um, there are no individuals, it's all part of a, of a much larger whole. And when we start looking at the bigger whole um, and see the interconnectedness, there's actually a lot of solutions that are, that are really fairly obvious. Like you just start to do stuff and use the life that we have on this planet to create more life um, and there's, there's a lot of things there. Um, the band can come up if, if uh, they're ready. Um, Hannah asked me to give some tips on the environment, some practical things. And there's certainly a lot of things that, that we can do. If you have access to land in any capacity or want to be a gorilla gardener, go get 
one native plant and plant it somewhere. Um, native pollinating plants, nature loves it. I, I just planted, um, this week I planted uh, firebush, which is a native plant that I love. And I, because of the hurricane, I had it inside in my um, garage and I had my garage open. I didn't put it in the ground yet. And there's literally like bees in my garage going to like get the pollen off of this thing. So um, anyway, Planting plants is really good. Native plants, biodiversity is awesome. Um, if you have property or have family with property that you own, um, solar makes a lot of sense. It's not perfect, but um, certainly is something you can do. And also, almost always, if you have the right thing, will save you money. Um, so good, good environmental thing to take a look at. You can look at um, eating locally, figuring out where your food's coming from. Um, organic local produce grown on farm. There's 15th, 15th Street Farm down the street here in St. Pete and many others um, to get local organic produce would be really helpful. Um, you know, but you can spend your money, which is energy on things that um, support positive systems. So buy from your friends, buy from community building activities instead of you know, buying from places that are extractive and taking your money and taking it to you know, support extractive industries. You know, consume less in general, it's a good, good thing to do. Um, but what, what I've done with my, my business and what I've looked at is um, trying to center my life around how do I put life at the center of decision-making? And you know, so you can kind of look at any decision that you're making and how, you know, how does that, you know, how does life factor into that um, as a broad thing? And that will help with the environment, help with a lot of social justice issues, a lot of things like that, if you just look at ways to, to create life as well. Um, so what I want to leave you with today are two questions. Um, so in the areas of my life that seem meaningless and in a world that can seem chaotic and cruel, is there a space for faith for a bigger picture, like a prokaryotic cell creating oxygen and genes for a bigger revelation that's yet to come? And then for a decision that I'm facing, big or small, can I factor in life, beauty, health, love, whatever term is most alive for you, and put the creation of life at the center of that decision? So I'm going to close um, with very familiar words because we just heard them um, but for the podcast and just to have a chance to, to read them again, like a modified version of the lyrics of this song is the benediction tonight. Today. Hello, maker of the moon. Your creation has inspired my every move. You're the science in the stars. There is beauty, there is fire in your eyes. Hello, tamer of the tides. Every day you're moving deeper in my life. You're the wildness in the wind, and I feel you so much closer than my skin. Here we are, face to face, lost in wonder at the God of time and space. The universe declares your praise, singing holy, holy is your name. I can feel your heartbeat beating. I can hear my God is speaking. King of creation, breathe upon me. You can feel my heartbeat beating. You can hear my spirit screaming. King of creation, you amaze me. Hello, maker of the moon. You were there when I was in my mother's womb. Thank you. <laughs>